The Healing Lives Center is a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation and has the critical mission to strengthen that which God created and values, marriages and the nuclear family. Dr. Gilbert, your host, aims to provide important teaching on tough topics, great interviews and conversations, and tools just for you, all emphasizing a biblical worldview. Join us now with today's feature. Welcome to the Family Features Podcast. My name is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and today I have an incredibly interesting conversation ahead with Dr. Caleb Jacobson, hailing from Germany right now. So welcome, Caleb. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be here with you. Yes, and from the other side of the world. It feels like it sometimes, right? Like it seems like we're so far away, almost in opposite time zones. So it's kind of fun. It's also cool to be able to do this. This is just incredible that we have this um, availability of technology. Um, Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about yourself, because you come from a unique place, which I'm excited for our listeners to hear um, your perspective and your, your take. So I am a clinical psychologist, I have a doctorate in clinical psychology. Uh, I am a sex therapist, so I, I focus in sexual issues, mm-hmm. uh, which is a broad term in itself, right? Like sex therapy is, is like people always ask, well, what exactly does a sex therapist do? And I'm like, do you have a moment? Because it's such a wide ranging <laughs> option because sex, sexuality, and gender play such a big role in our lives and who we are and how we interact with our world and how we develop our relationships. It's kind of a kind of a large topic. Um, and I am also a Bible scholar. My second doctorate is in Hebrew Bible, biblical archaeology, and psychological hermeneutics. Wow, I love that. Sounds fun, right? Yes. To me, well, you're pairing two of my favorite things from the psychology world and sexuality and gender and scripture. And that's not yeah, normal. And, well, and it's and it's weird because in our minds there is this exclusivity between the two subjects right Mm -hmm. like sexuality and spirituality are mutually exclusive and i always tell people they're absolutely not mutually exclusive whatsoever in fact if we go to the hebrew uh we see in genesis that the the first command god ever gives mankind is sexual it's to be fruitful to be multi to multiply right it's a sexual command in order for the husband and wife to become one Mm -hmm. and the word in the text says uh, yada, meaning to know. So Adam knew yeah. his wife, yada. The same word is, so, it's, so it means sexually. It means to know sexually or intimately. The mm-hmm. same word is used in by the prophet Hosea to say how we should know God, yada. So there's a connection between wow. the spirituality and the sexuality in the text that, that we should be aware of. That yada word is one of my favorite words. I remember when I learned that in my training, it was just this kind of aha of the pairing of of the two we act like god like covers his eyes when people have sex yeah i think his heart's broken with how we treat sex i think we've turned it into a a game and and we play russian roulette with it um but he is the author of our sexual selves and then the act of sex itself so i so so i'm an orthodox jew Mm -hmm. and in judaism Sex is a mitzvah. It's a good thing to do. It's a, there's a blessing to do it. In fact, most Jews, religious Jews, Jews who are frum and practicing, mm-hmm. will usually at least schedule sex for Friday nights for Shabbos. So if they, it, because procreating on Shabbat is a special blessing. Like this is something, 
And, and it's kind of beautiful because, you know, we talk about couples not being able to connect and we talk about scheduling sex. And I mean, this is an old tradition. Like this isn't something that, is that so incredible. I love that we just came up with. Right. Um, and a lot of people are often, like you said, some people have this concept of how can these two be related? You know, God doesn't look at this. You're very right. Like the way we treat sex is not necessarily good. And the way that we view religion and sex isn't necessarily good as though religion is oppressive or religion is hindering people's sexual expression or whatever. I tell people all the time that boundaries around sex does not equate to sex negativity. In fact, we as therapists, we tell people to have boundaries and everything, right? Exactly. So I see my job as a sex therapist. And, and again, this is a very Jewish perspective, but I see this idea that when I work with a couple for them to change their perception of sex and we take something mundane mm -hmm. and physical like sexuality and we elevate it to something spiritual and holy. And wow. I believe that's God's will for mankind. And I believe that creates exciting, fun, intimate and, and great relationships and marriages. That's so, so important. And I feel like we've lost that. I feel like the culture has done a good job of even just almost shaming Christians and shaming anyone of any faith yeah. um, into just kind of into the corner almost. When if you think of when scripture and in scripture, when the Bible and all of the Christianity movement kind of came into the world, it was undoing a very sexually perverse society where when it said for man, um, husbands love your wives as Christ of the church. It was saying to men, no, you can't go with your concubine. No, you can't go do whatever you want to do. Men stay home and love your wife, honor her. It was actually the most sexually freeing in the sense of protecting the us, protecting marriage, protecting the person not doing a free-for-all. So I often feel as though a lot of this issue we see in society mm -hmm. is really the fault of religious communities because we've gotten out of the discussion yes and sure. we've left the discussion to everyone else and we've just kept ourselves silent and in a different corner so then with your research what have you found because you've done a lot of research what are the things that you've kind of done with your time and your your you've you said two doctorates that's incredible um how much I guess, what, what could you tell us as to what should we do to engage back in that conversation, but even just personally in our own lives? So one of the things, and 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 to make the point clear, I, I don't just, this isn't just a topic I talk about, like it's something I'm very passionate about, which yeah. is why I, I chair for ASECT, their special interest group on sexuality and religion, because I was so tired of seeing therapists tell clients, oh, your religion's a problem. You yeah. need to leave it. Oh, your religion's a cult. You need to leave it, right? And, and there is and no doubt. When what you just said, so you chair the ASECT, uh, what was it called? Special Interest Group on Sexuality and Religion. Yes, and that's a big deal. Like, I don't even go anywhere near ASECT because of how absolutely crazy it's gotten. It's so great to see you doing that and standing your ground when it comes to looking at that conversation. So that's awesome. I loved hearing that. I'm I'm very fortunate that I I do have a lot of friends within ASEC, mm -hmm. not necessarily that I agree with, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> and and I just had the new president of ASEC, Rosalind Deshavo. Me and her, we we don't agree on anything at all. 
nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. But she's always been very supportive of what I do. That's so and neat. I give her credit for that. That's so and neat. and I and I told her this publicly, and she told me she said when she first got on the committee for ASEC that the then president said they were putting her on there because she was a voice of dissent. And she goes, we need these voices of dissent and we need people with varying perspectives. And I thought that was a very beautiful. And, a, you know, we talk about liberal. That's actually liberal like that. When you say you can have multiple opinions and multiple that's that's being liberal, not not council culture and telling people how they must think that's that has nothing to do with liberal mentality at all. Right. So uh, what I can tell both people who are people, persons of faith who are interested in the subject of sex and people who are like, our world is really going crazy. Like, I mean, we're getting to the point where, you know, people are denying biological sex. Like, you know, like this is insanity. Okay. So true. I have. So I'm I'm also on the advisory board for the Gender Dysphoria Alliance. Mm. Uh, I was selected by people with gender dysphoria to be on this committee. Okay, so it wasn't like I asked them. That, I mean, they came to me. They said we would really like a psychological a, a psychologist to give you know to advise us. So what I'm going to say now, if I said this, they'll totally support what I'm saying. Really, I have a lot of compassion towards people who have topics like gender dysphoria. And I'm speaking about this specifically because it's in the news all the time. Okay, yeah. so I'm just picking this topic. Thank you. Yes. Um, I have so much compassion towards people who have gender. I cannot, I cannot sympathize with them simply because I can never fathom what it would feel like. Do you know what I mean? Like I, to look in the mirror and not recognize myself and to feel such a disconnect between myself and my body. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even imagine what that's like. And I can imagine how painful and hurtful mm -hmm. and, and terrible something like that could be, okay? Yes. So at the same time, I do know that there are activists within the movement who have completely lost their minds, like to, to the point where, <laughs> I mean, really like- So true. Like, and, and and I believe they are doing more harm to the trans community than than anyone could ever imagine. I believe they're really hurting the perception of someone who has gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. and they're increasing hate towards people who have gender dysphoria. Yep. And because what happened? Because gender, you know, people, the trans community is very very small. I mean, they make up such a small percentage of the general population. So they're they're very few and far between, right? And when you have some extremists who are the voices that you hear, right? You know, um, I think of someone like like uh, Caitlyn Jenner, when when Bruce Jenner said he was transitioning to Caitlyn, people made jokes, sure, but you don't hear people boycotting or protesting or trying to beat up Caitlyn Jenner. Mm -hmm. You know why? She's living her life in California. Nobody like nobody cares. Okay, <laughs> not go not going around saying crazy stuff like there are no genders or there are no biological sex. They're not saying this this absurd stuff. Not advocating for schools to uh, 
hide from parents the fact, yes, absolutely. And yeah. not just indoctrinate, but to hide things from yeah. parents about their children's, I mean, we're talking, we're not only, not only, not only we're we talking something medical, we're talking like long-term, like when we talk about puberty blockers and things like this nature. And it's, this is really, this is insanity, right? This is it, insanity, the world we're living in. Destroy so, the chance of ever having children. Like it's sure. destroy their whole future. So I'm, I have a very good friend of mine who is a trans person who had a procedure done 30 years ago has been on. Okay. And this person who's been a big, was very vocal and helping to raise awareness of gender dysphoria mm -hmm. and, and really believes in the mental aspect of it is, is so against this. And, and I'm, I'm telling you this because I want your listeners to understand that there are so many trans voices who are against what's happening right now. Good to hear that, that they, they get silenced though. Yes, they do. Yeah, they get silenced. Um, they understand who? who's silencing trans them. Activists. Trans activists. Trans so, I mean, I, yeah. and, 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 well, a certain segment of trans activists, I should say, very who have, small. who have very small percentage, you know, who, who, but, but others who are trans are trying to raise awareness of like rapid onset gender dysphoria and trying right. to raise awareness of, you know, detransitioners who once they decide they are, they've made a mistake and they want to detransition as soon as they get in their twenties, most well, psychologists and doctors so don't see them. Ra rapid onset gender dysphoria. What's that? Explain that to our listeners. I'm going to call it a theory simply because, uh, put it. Simply, yeah. okay. uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria is a theory which says that this increase in, um, I don't like to say gender dysphoria because I don't think they have gender dysphoria. I don't think a I lot agree. of them have gender dysphoria. I agree. Okay. 100% agree. Yeah. Uh, that this onset of it and this increase in it comes from community influence. Correct. Okay. And it's an experiment. They're literally experimenting. That so that that's that's they're, the they're idea. Pressure. Yeah. Uh absolutely. And, and especially at a at a time where you're really vulnerable. Correct. Um you know, it's it's really funny because uh, the quote unquote LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. um, they're the focus now is so hyper trans. Yes, that that research has shown that they're really kind of killing off the gay community because they have done studies that show that young persons who are struggling with their sexual orientation and who say, mm, I think I'm gay, uh, you know, they start experimenting with more feminine expressions. Well, now they identify as trans and then they get, okay, so do you see like- oh, yeah. like it's, it's madness. It's, it's, it's so- yeah. um, well, And then you said the word detransitioners. Yeah. What is it, what's a yeah. detransitioner? So a detransitioner is someone who maybe at some point in their life has identified as being, uh, so let me let me back up to say this before right, I answer right. this. Yeah. I make a distinction between gender identity and gender dysphoria. And the difference is gender dysphoria is a psychological condition Correct. in which a person um their their the way that they perceive their biological sex is different than their actual biological sex. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's gender dysphoria. Gender identity I define as 
it, it's basically what you see. One minute I've identify with, you know, being um a man, one minute I identify as being a woman. Sometimes you don't have to identify as being anything, you can be non-binary, okay? Right. So this identity model politics, it reminds me, I told you I was good friends with Ed Heinsohn and uh his his former teaching assistant. I cannot remember Michael's last name. I cannot remember his last name. <laughs> but he was in a class with Elmer Towns who helped found Liberty University with Jerry Falwell. Oh. And Elmer Towns used to say crazy stuff. Uh, I say crazy. And I'm not talking like bad crazy. He was just a very funny guy. Mm -hmm. And he would say things about, you know, and so I wrote this book, like whatever he was talking about, like it always ended with this. And when he was when he would teach like systematic theology which i had to go through christian systematic theology and i'm thankful for that now um because it helps me work with christian clients right yes. but i remember him talking about like calvinism and the tulip model do you know this right okay and uh so elmer Towns used to always say uh and so i tell them that i'm a calvinist if i can define the terms and i remember ed heinson's teaching assistant said well i'm a buddhist if i can define the terms right if you can define the terms, you can identify with whatever you want. You mm -hmm. can identify however you want. Mm -hmm. Our feelings change. Oh, Our God, feelings change so during the life. Your feelings change in your relationship. You can get in an argument with your spouse and think, man, I don't want to be near them right now. Okay. And if we define love as only this feeling, well, then it's okay just to walk away from that and not put, okay. It's the yeah. same with it's the same with how we feel. You know, some days you look in the mirror, you have self-confidence. You go, well, I look good today. I'm I'm happy with right. Um, so I, I like to make this distinction between gender dysphoria and and gender identity. Yes, good. And so with rapid onset gender dysphoria, or, or I'm sorry, with detransitioning, someone who has said, I identify with the opposite set biological sex in which I was born, mm -hmm. decides they transition, meaning they're going to move. And that's where trans comes from. Um, and just in case somebody happens to pop on this and says something like transsexual isn't a word you should use anymore. Magnus Hirschfeld coined this term in the early 1900s. Magnus Hirschfeld was the, was the biggest trans activist of his time. And the word was coined to put a distinction between heterosexual, bisexual, it was it. There's no, um, there's no misogyny that's related with the use of this term. It wasn't a term of hate or anything. Huh. So, it's a lack of education that people have when they talk yes. about the subject that's now. Good. That's very good. So I would say. So then they they transition. Maybe they transition when they're 15 or 16 years old, and unfortunately, this is happening younger and younger. Right especially in the US, because in the US, you don't even have to go to see a, a therapist before you decide you're gonna transition. Oh, well, it's happening in the US, yeah. I mean, in the UK, you have to go to at least six months of therapy. You have to have three different specialists sign off on it. Similarly here in Germany, the US is the only one who is allowing such such insanity. Um, so say you did, say you met, you transition. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna build this to be dramatic, Corey, if you don't mind. <laughs> so say it. you decide that you're 13, and I know 13 year olds, this has happened to you decide you're going to you're going to transition. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't trust a 13 year old to decide anything in their life. OK, no. but like this is that's why you have parents. So 
say you decide you're going to transition, you tell the people in the school, oh, you know, my parents are being abusive. They're calling me by the wrong pronouns, right? So Child Protective Services comes, talks to mom and dad, and they begin to give you puberty blockers without your parents knowing. Mm -hmm. Some people say I'm I'm being, uh, that I'm, that I'm, exaggerating or that i'm being dramatic but this is what's happening in the u.s it this is. is happening today correct in states all over the u.s yes so they 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 go and they transition they they, they i know of 13 year olds that have had mastectomies okay this is happening yes. so then they turn 18 19 20 you know 21 your brain starts to do some more development you know oh. the, the way it develops is a little different uh and then this person says, oof, you know, I think I made a mistake. Yep. Okay. Um, so then they say, well, I want to transition back mm-hmm. to the person. I want to transition back to my biological sex. In most states, the therapist will no longer see you. And most doctors will not even talk to you anymore. It and the trans, and, 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 and when I, again, when I say the trans community, I'm talking about, I'm talking about radical activists. Right. I really want the people listening to really make a distinction between these two, right? So we're talking about radical activists who really try to silence those voices. Again, a good friend of mine who has done this work for so many years as a trans person um, is called a transphobe. (laughs) Do do you understand the insanity here? Oh, it's insane. Because gives voice to these people and he says we really have to stop what's happening okay mm-hmm. so and if you look at it from a sociological perspective imagine you as a parent and this your this is going on with your child behind your back well cool. tell me what what are you going to think about the trans community when you see a trans person what are you going to think about this person like it's creating contention between these communities that's yeah. why i think people of faith need to be a little bit more active and and being vocal and finding people. I'm not saying they have to be of the same faith as you. I'm not saying they have to hold all the same thought process, but but there are voices that you can work with yes. and that you can understand and work together to make um, an environment that isn't so extreme. Mm-hmm. I, I gave you a lot there. I'm sorry. No, it's wonderful. I think that's such a good explanation of that process and and the picture because there's even pushes in the conversations in the U.S. about oh no, no no none of this is actually happening to kids. It's like well yes it is and there are some states that limit when you can have surgeries and when you can have till a little bit older but the truth is, is the indoctrination and the prepping is happening all the way into elementary school and it's changing our whole entire world. But that gender identity word you mentioned. Uh, I've I've wanted to say this out loud for years, but I've been very careful to um, because of that separation of sex and, and gender and all this kind of stuff. Because I don't, I'm a different, I'm a, we jokingly say in my marriage, I'm the girl in the marriage. My wife's the guy. She's the thinker. I'm the feeler. I'm the yeah. counselor. In the end, no, I'm so got the male and I'm not a girl at all. I have no idea what it's like to be a female, even though my brain's got a little bit different wiring. Gender identity to me is equal to not the exact, this is again, a word that's dangerous because it can be a diagnosis, but it's narcissism. Yeah. You are so self-centered on yourself. Sure. Yeah. And, 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 and there are definitely, there is definitely that aspect. And again, I'm not talking everybody, 
Correct. If you're listening to this and you have gender dysphoria, I'm not necessarily talking about you. I don't know you. We're, I'm talking about I'm talking about really radical activists who uh, someone asked me this question. Uh, they said, well, what do you do with a parent who refuses to call their child by the proper pronouns? Uh, isn't that child abuse? I said, it's not child abuse. I said, I, I know like. When I was a child, mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of things I would have liked my parents to do differently. Oh, we all have yeah. these things. A okay. <laughs> all right. Yes. If the biggest trauma, and, and I think in therapy, we overuse this term trauma. Like everything is trauma today. Like anything, anything somebody raises like. their, anything you don't like is trauma. Oh, it's terrible. Right. Okay. So. <laughs> It's really, and I, and I think social media has a lot to do with this because Ooh. the way algorithms work, like you, you're in a more closed community where you feel like everybody thinks the same way as you do, which adds to that narcissism, right? Yes, like I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. There's no conversation about it. You need to think like I think. Right. Right. So, yeah, I do agree. I think the idea that you expect me to do exactly what you want to me to do mm -hmm. with no questions that now. Listen, if you came to me and you said, I want you to call me by, I don't know, a, a lamp, I'll call you whatever you want me to call you. Like, I really don't care. Okay. But that's simply because I'm, I respect you as a person and, you know, it's okay. But the fact that you're to call something abuse and to call right. it child abuse where child protective services are being called on yes. families in the U.S., this, this is, this is totally wrong. Yeah. And I would say, get your kids out of school or actually they're not called schools anymore. They're called government indoctrination places, camps, camps. Yeah. It's scary. If you can, if not, you better be in that school every single day and be an active part of that school to really not only protect your kid, but others. But I like that you made the distinction between gender identity and gender dysphoria, because when I just said gender identity is narcissism, gender dysphoria is not right. That is a different thing that there's someone in distress. Right. The problem that we're seeing is counselors aren't listening to them being in distress and helping them deal with the distress. They're sending them into a, a, a pattern of, okay, we're going to take this and fix this for you. Yeah. Whoa. And, and, you know, and, and, and that's where the narcissism comes in because when it's an identity, it's however yeah. you feel. So my feelings need to override your thoughts or my feelings need to override reality or my feelings need to, you need to adapt to the way that I feel. Right. And this is, this is problematic. What has led to other, where we're at even politically, where it's sure. because we can't agree. So since you don't believe what I believe and I'm right, then it's, well, we can't even be and be friends. Churches that are fractured. We've seen this across the country where, because you disagreed on the masks, 40-year relationships were severed. Family relationships were severed because you disagreed on the vaccine, that kind of stuff. It's like, oh my, how have we gotten so off the rails? Well, it's this gender, it's not the gender even, but the identity politics. The identity politics. I am the center of the, of the universe and you are to bow to me is literally what we're saying without saying those words. And if we're all saying it, I mean, there's nothing that can... Well, it points to who we need. We need Jesus. <laughs> we need a savior. We need um, to be um, 
Yeah, it's what, scary. What's 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 troubling to me is what you just said about the impact that this has on families. And not not necessarily, you know, the 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 nucleus of the husband and the wife, but how this impacts grandma and grandpa and your aunts and uncles. Yeah. And yeah. and it's and it's really breaking down not just families, but the fabric of society, the way we think about our neighbor and the way that we treat our neighbor. Um, and to me, this is really unfortunate and it is doing much more harm than any good anybody thinks they're doing. Right. Which if you think of what's happened in our conversation over the last about two or three years has been um, an attempt to undermine the nuclear family and yeah. to define it as something that's a social construct and it's archaic. Yeah. But again, one of the things that I've spent the last summer learning and reading about in terms of the his history of it, because that's not an area I'm very strong in, has been to finally see that when Christianity enters into a society, it starts cleaning up some of that mess. It actually is the answer when it comes to faith says, hey, your family matters. Hey, stay within your family boundaries. It's back to that word boundaries. We were meant yeah, to be so and live within boundaries. My wife right now is in another state. She is at a funeral. And it's incredible to even know that I don't have to worry about her. And she doesn't worry about me. And we can trust each other. How many people um, live wondering and fe in fear? When I was doing my doctoral work, I was at a colloquium. They had to separate the faculty from the um, students during that time. And so I was curious why. And I'm in my you know mid-20s and... They said they had to separate them because it was a two two weeks and they couldn't keep him from having sex with each other. Like this is a very secular place and a very they had they literally were like people just start hooking up because well we're away from our our family for two weeks it's expected that you I guess can't live without it so well that's taught from childhood the ethic of the boundaries and the and even the sacredness or beauty of of sexuality that I, I feel like we need to come back to, which you you have a podcast and your yeah. podcast is the Sex Therapy Podcast. Which I love I'm not very creative with titles. <laughs> well, but the when you go to your website, I love that it's so it's sextherapypodcast.com, but it says, are you turned off by podcasts that are either too raunchy or too clinical? Then get turned on to the Sex Therapy Podcast. That's part of why I don't listen to almost any of these podcasts that are out there. They're either too raunchy or they're way too clinical. Even our conversation just now kind of got clinical for some people. It did. It's so it did. important to understand sure. these words and these terms so we can then go into, so now what? Now what do we do? So what's interesting about what you say, and I will say, I will, first off, let me back up a little bit. Go uh, I'm going to back up, then we'll hit the website and we'll move forward from there. I, I will say you talked about trust and trust. Trust is a very important aspect, right? Mm -hmm. Trust comes from communication. Trust allows vulnerability, right? These are all things that are essential for a good sex life. Since we're here talking about sex, right? Yeah. If you want to have great sex with your partner, you need to be able to communicate with your partner. You need to be vulnerable with your partner yeah. and boundaries. I think help to facilitate trust and vulnerability and communication mm -hmm. all right so i i'm moving this into polyamory i'm gonna get myself in trouble you got me talking about the two topics i get myself in most trouble for right, and, I, and i've 
I've worked with polyamorous couples. Here's what surprises me most. And, and I know people who, who I'm friends with who do, who practice polyamory and you want to get someone and, and, and they love to talk about, oh, we have such better communication than the monogamous couples, all of this. Okay. You want to drive them crazy mm-hmm. and about their freedom to be able to love whoever they want to, which if you want to have 15 partners, do what you want to. I don't really care as long as you're not bothering me. Yeah. But the moment I miss mention something like polygamy, they lose their minds. Like they're like, oh no, not polygamy. So polyamory is okay, but not polygamy. Why is because, because in their mind, two things, one polygamy introduces a boundary. Uh Uh-huh. That's a good word. Two, uh, polygamy introduces a religious element to them. Mm -hmm. So they want to devoid those two things from their sexual interactions. But it is also the one male. It's one male with multiple wives, unless you do polyandry, which is very common in Tibet. And which other in Tibet, for example, polyandry, which is one wife with multiple husbands, which is very common in like Tibet because I heard of that. What happens is though, and also you, there's there's areas in Africa where it's very popular too. So what happens is, and, and Tibet's a great example because in Tibet you have a small area of land, mm-hmm. okay, and so if you were to divide that land each time you have inheritance, you'd have no land, right? So you have. Usually the wife marries one of the brothers and then she ends up marrying all the brothers. And this does two things. One population control, because she can only get pregnant so often by whatever brother. And second, when they have children, the children have the same land. So they're not, this keeps the continuation of the, of the population. All right. So, so, but they go crazy over, over, over this. And I will tell you from the couples that I have worked with who are polyamorous, all of them have the same issue, which is trust. Yep. Jealousy, right? Jealousy, big time jealousy. Every time. Um, and again, if you want to be polyamorous, go right ahead. I, I, But I have found working with polyamorous couples, and I had a recent talk with a queer friend of mine who's in a polyamorous relationship who has now reached the conclusion that polyamory is mostly implemented for one partner to justify wanting to be in in other sexual relationships from their partner. I didn't say that he said this. Yes, um, that's good. But there's a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm. And so they d- define polyamory. So, so... Yes. Yeah, so polyamory is when a lot, and we used to use the term open relationship, right? Yes. We used to use this term, although I would say that I'm not endorsing this, but listen, just listen to the words that I'm saying. Uh-huh. I, I would tell people if you are interested and you are, if you say, look, I'm just going to have sex with somebody who's not my partner. If this is what you're saying in your mind, Go for an open relationship as opposed to polyamory. And the reason I say that, again, I'm not I'm not endorsing it. I'm not supporting it. But you're to, from what I've seen, you're opening up much. You know, if you're open relationship, it's usually like you have a one night stand or you cheat on your wife or whatever the case may be. Uh, I guess it wouldn't be cheating if it's allowed. Whereas <laughs> in po- polyamory, you are introducing a new person into the nucleus of your relationship. 
not just necessarily one person. It could be four or five, six people. This creates a lot of complications, and a lot of complications. Constant. Yeah, it's daily. It's yeah. weekly. It's, it's like you're living yeah, in community. It's community yes. with not just a one night stand or not just some kind of outside person. I can work much better with people when they have an outside person. Like, you, you know, it, it, like if you think of it from an infidelity perspective, which they don't like to use the term infidelity anymore. But if you think of it from an infidelity perspective and a couple comes in for infidelity, we can work through infidelity, mm-hmm. right? Yes. But now when you're introducing someone who's always there and you want to talk about the rise of jealousy, you want to talk about, I mean, how are you communicating with six people? The same arguments they use against uh, polygamy, which is being married to multiple multiple women, like they will say, like, oh, these these Muslim men who are practicing polygamy, this is terrible. How could they ever can? How could they ever spend time with their partners? Well, how are you doing in polyamory? Mm-hmm. Like the same way, like the arguments you use against it, it, it it's really it's really unrational. Yeah. Which so go ahead. So, yeah, so I, I think it's I think it's uh, I get in a lot of trouble for saying that. Mm-hmm. And again, I've, I've worked with numerous um, polyamorous couples. I've worked with polygamous couples as well, too. Mm-hmm. And if that's, you know, there just know that if that's what you choose to do, don't believe the propaganda that it's all sunshine and roses. There are difficulties. There are difficulties in every relationship. But you just have to multiply that because you have yeah. multiple partners. Yeah, yeah. And what you have done, what you've spent your life doing in terms of the research, what's yeah. scary and sad to me is we're not listening to research anymore. We ditched that a uh, long time ago. We are listening to emotion or we're seeking an agenda, kind of like Kinsey did, to justify my own stupidity, my own selfishness, my own abuse of others. And so the research actually shows you're going to be a lot healthier, a lot happier, a lot more whole in a monogamous relationship. Yeah. And and now for, for those who are listening, who are maybe like, I don't know if I could be monogamous or, you know, and, and they bring up concepts of like lifespan was a lot shorter, you know, mm-hmm. so being married to your 30s is different than being married to your 60s. Okay. Some of that might be true. But what I will say is that Perhaps the real problem isn't being married for 60 years. My grandparents uh, of blessed memory, they 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 were married for 60 some years uh, and they are, are, are all 65 years. And they what was so beautiful. Did they have always have the best marriage? No, absolutely not. OK, this goes back to what we're talking about feeling like what is love and love is really a commitment, right? Love is a commitment that this person you're committed when there are problems or situations that you'll work through it despite the way you necessarily feel. Yes. Because you do have a connection with this type of person. Uh, you might have a terrible sex life. I always I often think it's funny that people are like, oh, I can never be with this person. The sex is terrible. I'm getting out of this relationship. You can fix your sex life. We can work on sex. Yep. You can you can learn new sexual skills. There are things we can work on. Things like you know a person being able to make you laugh or a person being able to make you feel comfortable or a person being able to uh, just, you know, brighten up your day or to connect with intellectually or and or emotionally, this is ha- much harder to find. Right. And 
again, it all goes back to this feeling. And, and that's what's happening in research today as well. And what, unfortunately, in sex therapy, they are moving away from what the research said. They said everything's too medicalized. It's all too medicalized. <laughs> you don't want to look at this, right? <laughs> we we need people with the experience to talk about this. And, you know, I'm not saying we don't need people who have had these experiences to talk about it. I never understood the trans community until I had someone who had gender dysphoria sit down and tell me what they went through. And I sat there crying as they sat there crying, because if you have any compassion in your heart and in your life and you see people, it's the same as if I see a client who's dealing with depression or, or, or any, any other diagnostic. Okay. So they, they, you know, the other thing they want to, they want to do away with diagnostics. Okay. And I don't, I'm not saying that diagnostics are, are set in stone, like, but I do think they give us a guide of what we're doing. Right. Like they, they kind of help Dude. us to understand. So, yeah. uh, but you are right. It is all about, let's move away from this. Uh, let's move away from the research. Let's move away from the science in all of these areas. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very fun. I think that's very uh, sad. I think it's really sad. I think it's very sad. And I think that we we need to put a little more effort into uh, understanding these issues and invest time in, in understanding these issues. And um, unfortunately, it's hard to get funding for that, too. Correct. Which is where we need as a church and churches and Christian community and actually even all religious community. There needs to be voices that aren't just whiny or pointing fingers or emotional, they need to actually have answers, which goes back to the research. Yeah. You need to learn the research. So we need people that are going to study. You need to know the scripture and that we know the Bible and what it says. And then how do you apply it? What is a healthy, a sexual ethic? And I don't see that taught very much in very many places. Um, most- well, in Judaism, we teach about sexual ethics quite a bit. Like, Where, though? Expect- where in orthodox Judaism? No, where do they teach it? It it's done in the weekly parasha. Like yeah. if so when in, any sexual issue comes up, it's in the it's church. T- yeah, in the synagogue. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, so it's regular. It's talk. taught yeah. there, and that's not normal in most evangelical churches, Catholic churches. Like it's not, and then it's not done in the home either. Which means, what do we just choose to do? We choose to relegate it to the public school system, yeah. public government. Yeah. See, system. this is terrible. Yeah, this is terrible. So we need and, to stand up and teach this. So I want to, I want to, I want to not only echo that, but I want to move it a little closer. So in okay. Judaism, the synagogue is on the same level as the home. Okay, mm-hmm. the home is at the same level. Okay, no, they're both a spiritual area and a spiritual Good. space. Good. Okay. I would say, and a, a Muslim friend of mine who's a sex educator said this recently, and I thought it was so beautiful. And they were talking about children, you know, where should children learn sex? And and she said, the best sex educators are the parents. Mm-hmm. And this, is, I, I couldn't agree more, right? Like, this is not what you're supposed to say. Like, we just got done talking about how, you know, the idea that, oh, your parents are outdated. They don't know what they're talking about. Don't bring the, you know, and there's a lot of grooming going on. Yes. Which I, I'll caveat this too. There's a very influential gay group called Gays Against Groomers, just deplatformed from Twitter. 
Huh. Hundreds of thousands of followers were taken off of Twitter because of the topic that they're talking about. Okay. So I'm, I'm saying this because I want your listeners to recognize that there are people with completely polar opposite views in every other area of their life where there are areas where you really do agree on. Mm -hmm. So true. And they are being, you don't hear about them and what they're doing because they're being silenced. Yes. And, and I personally think the reason they're being silenced is because, you know, if you assume that all of these, these people are doing this propaganda, well, of course you're going to be against all of them. Right. And then what do the propagandists do? They say, well, look at the violence against the trans community that they're propagating. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because they have this idea that all trans people. Okay. So it's, it's, it's really a, a culture war that's going on. Yes. And that's why I think the homes are so very important. Mom and dad needs to be talking about sex and they need to be demonstrating healthy sex. I'm not talking about intercourse or se when I say healthy sexuality, I'm talking about, you know, I think it's great because kids notice your interaction between mom and dad, right? Do mom and dad hug each other? Are they are, yeah. do, exactly? Uh, do they laugh together? Yep. Right. Yep. Like these, these, these things are so important. Does dad hold the door open for mom yes. when we go out? They go on you know, dates. Exactly. This and this dad to likes me to is, be with mom. Mom likes to be with dad. What a novel right. idea. Yeah. Right. And this is something I think is so important, and it's so beautiful. My, my my youngest sister is just finishing up college and is gone now a lot. And so my mom, my parents are in their 60s. My dad's almost 70 and my dad still works. My mom says to me, she goes, oh, we're going to be home alone all weekend. What are we going to do? I said, mom, this is so exciting. Like, this is the <laughs> great time for you and dad. Y'all should go have a nice dinner come back, light some candles, get some massage oil. This is the time for you to reconnect <laughs> as a couple. You know, I tell this to people and people go, you tell that to your parents. Absolutely. I want my parents to have the best relationship now that they are together alone than they've ever had in their relationship since they've had children. Yes. Yep. Yep. And so the book I wrote, the first book I wrote was called, I can't say that. And it was a book for parents. Yeah. And it's got a book and workbook, and it's literally help you walk through gender and sexuality from a biblical worldview so that you're empowered to have way more than just the talk. So going beyond the talk. Sure. And I wrote one for teenagers to hand to them as well. But, the, but that's my heart. My heart is parents, you may not feel equipped, so get equipped. The truth is, is whether you're equipped or not, they are watching every move you make. They're watching when you diss your spouse. They're watching when you love your spouse. They're watching when you walk past them and ignore them or sarcastically say something. And they're watching when you are loving and tender and gentle. And I love that you even put in their laughter. Like yeah. we, they are watching and they're watching unconsciously. So then it's sure. shaping their sexuality. It's shaping how they see relationships. One of the things that I'm seeing are how many men my age hate their life, hate their jobs, and are absolutely miserable. And why in the world would their daughter ever want to marry someone like you? And why would their sons ever want to be like you? Right. Men, step up, man up, get a job you love, do something great. You may be in a job you don't like, but you can find incredible fulfillment in serving over here or doing over here and investing in something that gives that lights you up. 
because I don't believe God puts you on this earth for death and taxes. He puts you on this right. earth to do something great. And number one, great is your wife, husbands, is to love her. And number two is to mentor those kids into incredible citizens, incredible people. So your yeah. job is right there. Do it. And it's important. You know, you, you, you mentioned the website and how the website talks about, you know, and let's be honest, it's not just podcasts. It's in general, like when we talk about sex, it is either really sterile or it's really raunchy. Okay. Right. And this really bothers me. Like it it bothers me to the point if, if anybody listens to the work I do, you know, I don't use a lot of crude and 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 vulgar terms. I don't need to do that to relate to someone. Okay. So going back to parents talking to their children. I and 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 this goes back, it all ties into what we talked about. Like you talk about the science. Well, you know what the science says to parents having a talk with their children and having an ongoing talk Mm -hmm. with their children is, you know, a lot of parents say, oh, your private parts or this, that, and the other. I mean, research shows that even having your children understand proper biological terms, yes, by the time they go into kindergarten reduces the risk of sexual child abuse. Okay. Because they understand. Yes. Right. So, so what I'm, I I don't want you to feel that. um, And it's really kind of interesting because if we, if we tie this into the gender identity thing as well, and we don't, our, our children don't understand their biological parts or anything about themselves. And it's not dirty. This is not something dirty. Right. This is something that's natural. This is the way God created us to be. And, and you know, we were created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And so we need to understand our bodies, how our bodies work. Uh, in Judaism, every morning we have a little prayer uh, that basically it's kind of a gross. If you think about it, this prayer is kind of gross. So what do most people do in the morning? The most people go to the bathroom when they wake up. And there's a prayer specifically to say, thank you, Lord, for the fact that my orifices are working and that the holes in my body are working properly and I'm able to do these things right now, this is something that really teaches our autonomy and our anatomy and how our bodies are supposed to work, supposed to work. And so, you know, I know a lot of parents, they don't like to use the word penis or can I say penis and vagina on here? I I know a lot of parents don't like to use these terms, penis and vagina, but I'm going to tell you, I would much rather my kid use the word penis or vagina than a lot of terms that people are using now right. that are much more crude and raunchy or right. whatever the case may be and do not necessarily give an indication of what what it's talking about. Right. Yeah, it's really is kind of down down there. Yeah. Just down there. It's kind of the mentality which puts the notion of it's crude, it's bad, it's even uh-huh. evil. You know, or God made us, and then the devil slapped on the genitals, kind of mentality. Sure, and it comes and that down that, that affects them, and and you're right. And not only does that affect them as a as a child, that affects them much later on when they're in a relationship, and they're becoming intimate with their partner finally, and they're there's still this idea of this is yeah. this is not right, and this is where a lot of guilt and shame comes from around sex. I don't think it comes from necessarily boundaries, and for somebody who's listening who's saying. Uh, I don't know that I agree with that. I will tell you, 
I see a lot of clients who aren't religious at all that still have guilt and shame around sex. Like Very good it's point. still it's still there. Um, and it's like it's in our drinking water or something. But I think it comes with the way that we communicate and that we 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 have approached the subject as opposed to the actuality of sex and its correlation and well, interaction. With I would tie it to the fall. If you think of all of us, we're all fallen. So whether we identify with with you know Christ or whatever else, or any kind of religious belief system, we are all in need of a savior, if you will. We're all in need. And if you think of that design, of course, we all understand what shame is. We all understand what guilt feels like. But when you put it into religious context, it all of a sudden starts making more sense. It's kind of like in psychology, it's almost like the whole goal is to just avoid pain and to live the best life ever. Mm. And one of the things I love about my faith has been I've lived my whole life with a chronic illness. It's tried to kill me many times. I could either live miserably just trying to only live in the good times when it was kind of in remission, if you will. Or I can realize that even when it's at my at its worst, I never missed a class when I was teach as, as a professor. I still got I made it to school and I taught and I made the best of those seasons. And I now look back and I don't have all these huge holes of even regret. It was my I still fulfilled my calling, if you will. I still was doing, I still yeah. was was um contributing to the world. Where what I was told when I met my wife was I would live on disability my whole life. Mm. I've never, I haven't taken a penny of disability and I don't plan to. My goal is to work till I'm dead. And even retirement to me is ridiculous because yes. why would I stop working? I love what I do. Yeah. I can understand retiring when you hate your job and you just want your, sure. but even those are gone almost. So, well, you know, in Hebrew, there's no word for retirement. I love that. There is a modern term now, but, but biblically there's never, but, yeah. and, and, and to work to, is not a curse. Work is hard. Not. Sure. Part of who we are. I I will say again for anybody who could be listening who's saying they're saying no. I really feel that my religious upbringing was really oppressive. If there's somebody who's listening, that what A I want to say to them, yeah, yeah, what I want to say to them is th there is a, such a thing as spiritual abuse. Yes. And if you happen to have been in a community where abuse was taking place, it's very true that you could feel that way. But there's it's funny that when we talk about spirituality, we are a religion like therapists don't like to talk about spiritual abuse at all. Like we name domestic abuse, we name sexual abuse. We name okay, so spiritual abuse is like holistically, like this is another area where a person could get abused in, Correct. and we need to identify it as such instead of labeling the whole religion or faith as being bad. We would never tell someone who is in a domestic violence situation or they're in abusive relationship yeah. never get you know what you need to do never be in a relationship again. All it was abusive. Bad. It was terrible yeah. for yeah. Never ever go for this. We would never tell them this. Yeah, but we, we tell them this about religion. Yeah, so true. That's one so of the ways I've, we deal with religion. So that's actually a really sure. smart way to kind of just dismiss it. Because many women do that too when they've been in domestic violence. Part of the way of dealing with the impossible, all men are bad. Sure. That makes complete sense rationally in the moment. And then playing it out, you start realizing, wow, this is limiting me. Wow, this is actually hurting me. Same for religious. So part of it is 
now reconstructing and rebuilding my my faith in not men, but there are good men out there. I need to actually have a committee that helps vet men in my life because I don't really have a good radar for that, which I tell my students that all the time. Some of you have really bad radars and you only attract losers or unhealthy people. So same for in religion. We need to actually be careful. There are very, very, very alluring belief systems in religious groups that just suck you in and they're dead wrong. And so being able to really be sensitive. I would even say that within any faith denomination or sect, all, right? All so of them. Like, Every single yeah, one of so them. So I, w- I would say that there are good communities and there are really bad communities you'd probably stay away from. Absolutely, yes. And, and so it's... They could be in churches right next to each other. Exactly. They look so pretty. They look the same or they look on the facade. And it's like... Right. So I jokingly say... This is not really good, but I jokingly ask, so instead of what church do you go to, which country club would you join? Yeah. Because we treat it like that. It's more like I just kind of joined this group. and It's like, no, this is so much more more beautiful than that um, in terms of who you worship and how you then out play out that worship, uh, which I think is really important. And we play out that worship in our sexuality and in our marriages and in our relationships all of our relationships and how we treat a trans person, how we treat someone who just believes different than I do. That yeah. word passion, curiosity. Can I listen to them and just listen? I don't have to agree or disagree. Just listen. I, everything you're saying really touches once again, this idea of a holistic perspective. Yes. So funny. So many people want to talk about like a holistic viewpoint and working with people, but they always leave out that spiritual element, right? They do. So, so Friday night, I'm in the synagogue davening, which is a Yiddish word for praying. So I, and, and basically the prayers is just through the book of Psalms, right? And I don't know what had happened to me at that moment, but I just started weeping. All right. Reading through one of the Psalms and I'm just, I'm I'm getting verklempt now, even thinking about it. Like it's like it was it was such an like it was such an same prayers I read through every Friday night, you know, almost every day. And and so, but I'm but I but it it just for some reason it hit me so strongly. Mm -hmm. Now we don't have we don't have a musicians. We there's none of that that takes place. Like we are just reading and singing through the Psalms that David wrote. Okay. Yep. So, so, and I I make that statement simply because some people would say, uh, it's just, um, fanaticism or it's emotional draw through music. Right. Okay. None of that's happening. Right. I'm talking reading from a book. Okay. So, and it, and it, and it just, and I'm just, I'm just crying. Mm -hmm. I, I am just crying. And, um, and then the rabbi, he, who's leading and he's not even facing the crowd that if anybody's ever been to a synagogue, everybody's facing the same direction. Uh, and he gets off of the Bima, which is the little platform and he grabs men and they just start dancing. Okay. Like it was just this beautiful spirit that happened. And why am I saying this? Because we are spiritual beings just as much as we are sexual beings. Amen. That's how God created us. Yes. Just as Friday night was a beautiful spiritual experience for me, mm-hmm. 
You can also have a beautiful sexual experience with your partner. And what I think is important is when we can remove the separation between the two in forms of, you know, well, these are mutually exclusive. These do not go together. And as a person, we can be whole and live authentically. Do you see? Yes. This is this. You want to talk about happiness in life and really feeling a sense of purpose. I always tell people, you know, we are created in the image of God. And as such, we are all a reflection of God. Mm-hmm. So when we try to conform and be something that we're not, we're hiding that image. Yes. And well, we need to remove that to let God's image shine forth in the world. Yeah. And one of the assignments I give couples often is after you're, you've made love and you're laying there and that kind of basking in that, that afterglow, yeah. pray. And almost always they're like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. And then a few weeks later, they come back and almost always the wife goes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because she truly felt it. And she really has been expressing it, that there was something much even greater, more beautiful, more whole, when you actually see that God didn't just, he smiles. Um, Especially when it's within a husband and wife in marriage, as he designed it. It's a celebration of, it's a beautiful thing, because we don't separate the spiritual. I think we've been taught to stick the spiritual back into a corner, have sex with anyone who we want to have sex with, because I feel like it. And we've degraded the body and we've degraded all of this to the point of people are lost because they don't understand that that spiritual and sexual are meant to be um, a part of that whole, not stripped apart, ripped apart or pushed in the corner. So such a good point. Yeah. So I I, I see. So I specialize in working with religious clients um, and I often I still see secular and non-religious clients as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, from any diversity of, and when I talk about, I want to be clear too, that when I, when I say diversity of sexual expression, even within my Muslim or Christian or Jewish clients, they're all engaged in all different types of sexual behavior, right? Some that are against their religious values, some that are maybe even against their personal values. Okay. This is the same true with, with, with my secular clients. Um, they have a value system too. Absolutely. <laughs> and and every that's and, and that's why I often use the term values instead. I don't like to use the term morals necessarily because that really denotes that they but we all do have yes. values re, re, related to these. And so reg, regardless of the client's values system, whatever it is, um, you know, some clients I see often have, you know, maybe one night stands or whatever the case may be. But it's often there's something that's missing. Yes. There's a fulfillment. Do you understand? Like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. like that, 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 that there's not they You're might enjoy it. Into that. You're trying to tap right. into that. You, our job is to fix them. We can't. Sure. Our job isn't to be the Holy Spirit in their life. That's someone else's job. The Holy Spirit, like it's our job is to kind of shine a spotlight and so yes right and and that's and so i often i often say that my job as a therapist this is another reason why you're just getting me in trouble okay (laughs) you're getting me in trouble this is why i often say and i'm very vocal about the fact that i am not a lgbtq affirming therapist Mm -hmm. 
Why am I not an affirming therapist? Well, if I was an LGBTQ person, I wouldn't want an affirming therapist anyways, because automatically when you're saying, well, this person can affirm me, you're automatically agreeing that the next person can deny your, your, your sexual orientation. Okay. So I always say, well, as a therapist, it's not my job to affirm or deny whatever you, whatever you want to do. Like, this is not my job. Right. The, the, the issue that I have is when a client comes in, let's use an expression that I'm just gonna make it very simple. So all your listeners can hear or whoever's tuning in. Let's say I have a client who comes in and tells me they're gay. Mm-hmm. But if I was an affirming therapist, I would say, well, of course you're gay. That's why you're experiencing the problems you're having because the rest of society is 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 creating trauma for you. Or, you know, like just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's nice. All right. So you're basically just rubber stamping whatever and saying it's everybody else's problem, not yours. Yes. I'm not saying it's necessarily a problem to be gay. I, that's not what I'm saying. Right. What I'm saying is if you come to me and you have enough anxiety to where you are making an appointment and paying to see me. Yes. There is something there. I'm not saying that you're not gay. I'm not saying that, you know, that I'm not talking about conversion therapy. What I'm saying is there are issues that need to be worked through and I am not doing you justice as a therapist. Amen. To just rubber stamp it. It's my job for my client not to change their perspective or change, but I want to build enough confidence in that client mm-hmm. to where when they leave, when they're done working with me, they have enough assurance in themselves, not because of what I said, but because they've done the work and yes. they're confident in who they are. Congruence in who they are. Exactly. And they have those values and, 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 of, or, or they know what their values are and they know how to navigate that. So when they leave my office, if someone it, say they're gay, say they leave my office and they say, okay, I know, I, I feel like I'm a homosexual. I, I'm going to live my life as a homosexual, whatever. The, and I'm saying this specifically because we're talking to religious right. audience right. who yes. are, who are against the topic. Okay. Yes. Uh, or who, who don't, are not supportive of, or not traditionally seen as being supportive of the gay community uh, because there's biblical prohibitions against homosexuality, which we could talk about biblical prohibitions too, if you wanted to. But so (laughs) let's say this client leaves my office after coming to therapy for a few weeks or months or whatever. And they say, okay, I'm gay. Okay. They're saying that not because I told them they're gay. Right. Or not because I agreed with them. They're gay. Affirm them. Yes. I've not affirmed them. They are saying that because they know They have reached that conclusion themselves Mm -hmm. and they are confident in that conclusion. So what does that mean? That means when someone comes up to them, let's say someone says something, a slur towards them or says something that they don't like, or it's, is, or is, or is seen as, uh, xenophobic or whatever the case. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't destroy them. It doesn't. They don't have, they don't have trauma. Over right. It. And the ones that right. are having the trauma over it really are the ones that are the most insecure, exactly. unstable, actually probably have another list of mental health issues going on that haven't been addressed oh. because there's the focus is all on let's celebrate you. Right. Says, oh, my gosh, you do have depression. Your anxiety is off the charts. We need to deal with those things. So I love sure. that. And that's what your house teaches about the congruence, helping a person get to congruent even if it disagrees with me that's not the goal of 
Right. He so, just wrote a he just wrote a wonderful chapter for a mm -hmm. book that I'm doing on that topic. Yes. And and talking about this congruency because it is it is a method. Again, look, whoever comes, let, let's just take me and you. I don't want to talk about. It. Let's talk me and you. Okay. I'm sure we have very different values. We have very different religious backgrounds. We have all of this different. Okay. Yes. My job, if you came to me for therapist, is not to um, make you believe and have the same values I have. Right. My job is I want you to be confident in your values. Now we might have a discussion. I I just I just gave a talk about, uh, and I just did a podcast episode on like interfaith couples mm -hmm. and how sometimes interfaith couples have different values when it comes to sex. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's say even within let's say they're both within Christianity. Let's say I have a uh, a charismatic client, and then let's say I have a. Southern, or let's go a little, let's go, let's say I have a um, Quaker client, or, or like the, the wife is Quaker, yeah. okay? Yeah. So go. very extreme yes. differences. They are going to come in with different values about sex. Yes. My, my job is not to make them have the same values of sex mm -hmm. that I have. Mm -hmm. My job is to help them navigate their different values to a point where there they can they can work to get have an understanding of each other i think we missed that subject like nobody needs you know you need to listen to me but i don't need to understand or hear you you know right. like that's a big right. thing yeah you know my goal is to have those clients to where you know they understand their partner's values mm -hmm. and then they can find ways to navigate through those in a way that feels authentic to them so then let's apply this this way how do you help a couple where one is saying, I want an open marriage, and the other one is saying, goodness gracious, no, kind of like, I guess we could go to uh, uh, Will Smith and their relationship and kind of what all kind of got exposed there. But like one wants to have the open and one doesn't is the only answer that they one that doesn't has to say, OK, fine. Or how do you navigate? Because they tend to, that's why they're probably going to come to counseling is like, help me. I need to make them not want to have an open marriage. This gets so messy. Usually it comes the opposite way. It comes the opposite way. Usually it's, you need to convince my partner to allow okay. us to have okay. a polyamorous relationship. Just being fair, that's usually how it works. Right? And then what do you do? Because you've got a conflict in all sorts of values internally as the helper because you disagree yeah. strongly, most yeah. likely with with that. But what's my... So what what I would say, Corey, is that I personally would not be in a polyamorous relationship. Okay. Yes. That's that's yes. how I would say it. It's a good way to put um, it. Yes. I personally wouldn't. Um, so what do I do if they come to therapy? Again, my job is not to change any of their minds. So mm -hmm. I make this very clear. I say, you know, I appreciate you both coming. And let's say it's the... Um, Let's say it's the woman who wants to have a, po a polyamorous relationship. Let's just say. Yep. So I would say to her and I would say to him in the onset that mm -hmm. my job here is not to convince him to have a polyamorous relationship, nor is it to convince you not to. That's mm -hmm. not my job here. Yeah. My job is yeah. to work with you both in reaching a solution or a compromise or whatever you want to call it. That is 
healthy for you both, like that that is healthy for your relationship. And to see if that you both have goals and visions that align with each other. Yeah. All right. That's so, messy. oh, it gets so messy. It gets, it does get messy. And this is not a, this is not a one month process, right? Like this is because there's a lot going on here, right? So why does this person want to have a polyamorous relationship? Is say her male partner not meeting her needs? Or it maybe is there a self esteem issue that there's so many other layers that you have to go into, right. and we miss that when we have partner, an agenda. We miss right. The, does one, yeah, does one partner have a higher sex drive than the other? Maybe they've reached a point in their relationship where there's emotional conflict where they just don't want to be with their partner anymore. Like, there's so many layers yeah. to this. Maybe they just saw a documentary about polyamory and thought, ooh, that's cool. I want to do that. Okay. Well, Whatever well, the reason is, yes. we need to yeah. reach that conclusion. So it, am I saying that this will change their mind? No, I don't want to. I'm not trying to change their mind. I, I, I just need us to come to an understanding of why you want this. Right. Okay. And why does the other partner not want it? I, I would do the same thing with him. And I would do it openly with both of them there. Nice. And usually in that process, I would say, so as you hear your partner saying this, well, you do relationship therapy. I don't need to tell you how this works or give you an exact, <laughs> you know, how do you feel hearing them say this? Like, what do you, you know? And, and, and so I would work with them and I will tell you, there have been instances where at the end of therapy, they have decided, you know, this relationship just isn't going to work. It's not the polyamory. It's the fact that we have a lot of values and a lot of ideas and goals that do not align and we are unable to make them align. Yeah. Which I would now, hope my heart's desire would be that you figure that out before you get married. I agree. That's not obviously the case many times. So not always the case, right? Um, you know, I try very hard. One of the reasons I usually like working with religious clients is because there is an emphasis on family mm -hmm. and they usually i work with a lot of muslim clients is believe it mo, the it's always funny i even work with a lot of muslim clients in the middle east and i always think it's funny a, an orthodox jew living in germany working with muslim clients like it's great that's <laughs> wow. a great way to live wow. but i love they're my favorite clients because they're very invested in you know we're going to make our marriage work in in islam divorce is allowed right just like in judaism divorce is allowed but there's this let's let we need to try to make this work right we need to make this work and so they are invested in therapy they don't just show up to tick a box they're there because they genuinely want to do the work and Absolutely. to have a close connection so you see clients right yes yes and you do research uh, yes and you do tons and tons of school <laughs> i do tons and tons of school and and most recently, we are launching the School of Sex Therapy, which is an ASECT approved provider wow. uh, for those wanting to be trained in sex therapy or, or sex education. But what's the difference with it? What's the difference in what you're launching? Yeah. So there's a lot of difference in what I'm launching yes. as opposed to a lot of the other programs that are available. That so, are very, very unhealthy and very porn focused and very experience focused. Most of the other ones. What what I would say about the other programs and 
not all of them. I mean, there are a few that are that that I think are 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 good. What I would say is there are not many programs that offer a very full mm-hmm. um systematic science-based approach. That's what I would say. I would say some of them are whatever the popular topic is right now. Yes. We're so it's like these about the kink. So or yeah, about shades or whatever. So or, right. Yeah. And and you know it's so funny because I have so many of them like, well, how do I work with a with a, a Baptist couple who's married and the, the husband has told me that he wants me to meet with him and his wife because, you know, or the wife, the wife says she wants to do, you know, she wants to be involved in kink. I said, well, the religion has nothing to do with it. Like at this <laughs> exactly. point, if they're married, like you, you would work with them like you work with any other religious couple or, or any other couple who's First interested in a couple, right? Yeah. Like it's crazy. So, um, so yeah, so the, the idea here and, and, According to the guidelines for certification, there are topics we need to teach on, right? We need yes. to teach about kink because as a therapist, you need to understand kink when a client comes in and how what 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 they're interested in because you will be you will encounter this in therapy. So the program is very systematic. We have reintroduced a medical aspect in it. In fact, Good. we will have, we have an entire course on introduction to sexual medicine. For many reasons, for many reasons. So like you as a sex therapist, you need to understand if a client is coming in who has depression and has been on SSRIs and then is coming in saying, <laughs> I cannot have intercourse with my wife because I have erectile dysfunction. There must be a problem with our relationship. Maybe it's the SSRIs. Like, you know right, what I mean? Like exactly. you need to understand these type of things. <laughs> it's so important. Yeah. Uh so so these are, you know, these are these are things we're doing. Also, um, the program is very friendly towards people who are uh, more conservative. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that ASEC requires a person to take is a SAR, which is a sexual attitudes reassessment workshop. Mm-hmm. And I actually think a SAR is a good experience um, because it really does introduce you to a lot of diversity in sexual expression. Uh, however, the way most SARs work is they might bring in a sex worker to talk to you, which is great. I think you need to hear from these sex workers. Um, But then like when they talk about an issue like BDSM or something, like they'll just show a porn film about it, right? Like, and so for a a religious person, this could be very, or or not even just a religious person, people who have values where where porn is conflicted, right? So I have come up with a beautiful SAR that will take place in December. which it's an experiential SAR, like it's an immersive experience. So all the things you, they love, like let's talk about kink. They love kink right now. Kink is so popular in, in ASEC. All right. I'm not going to have you watch a film about kink. Good. I'm going to take you to a BDSM dungeon. Ooh. So you can walk through and see the atmosphere that some of your clients might go to. Nice. And then we'll do a Shabari demonstration where I'll have someone come. And while you are clothed, uh, you can <laughs> you can agree to let this person tie up your hands or whatever the case may be. All right. So what does this where do? This? this is going to be in Berlin. Nice. OK, I will send you details. You should come. It's, it's going to be <laughs> because what this does is one. Now, you know exactly what the client's talking about. Two, 
you don't just know because you've watched it. You've known it because now you have some experience with it yourself, even if it's non-sexual, right? Right. So you have a greater context and understanding of this material than someone who went and just watched a porn film. Right. Which is most of the training is kind of a lot of the training is. Yeah. Uh, Well, there'll be um, they. In fact, one of the I talked about sex work. One of the things we will do is uh, a sex worker. You're going to have coffee with the sex worker and they're going to explain to you why they're doing this work. Like that's often what's not ever included right like yeah and and i'm very big in talking about the pluses and negatives of everything like i think we need a balanced perspective especially educationally yes like i'm really sick of a skewed perspective that goes along okay so i i just had coffee with the guy and i made it very clear that i want to know the good and the bad like Mm -hmm. Why you've done this? What has been the benefits? What problems has it caused you? Nice. Why do we need this? Because when you have a client who comes in who say they're a sex worker and they disclose this to you, well, now you understand the world they're coming from. You understand what could be the reasons, their motivations for doing sex work. Mm -hmm. And you also can understand some of the conflicts and problems they have and how it could affect them psychologically, emotionally, physically. Like, so I think it's a much better training personally. Nice. Well, it's neat to see that you're what you're doing and from your faith and your heart for people and this subject, you're you're investing in people. You're investing. And like I I'm definitely going to be way more conservative on this than you are when it comes to even some of those experiences. I don't um, have experience there working with a sex worker or listening to that. Um, But what you just said is so true sitting and talking to someone and hearing the good, bad, and ugly, it changes your whole heart towards a person. Cause the truth is, is we are all just default judgmental. Yeah. So being able to sit with someone who is struggling with their gender, gender identity, who, or gender dysphoria is actually probably a better um, place yeah. or someone who says, I am trans having conversations is it will change who you are. And so where a lot of parents who might be listening to this too are at is they're struggling with their own kid. And they only believe that the only thing they can do is either use the pronouns and join the community and cover their house in rainbows. And it's like, no, listen. But I would say careful with not uh, reinforcing a lie. So be careful with that. Um, If it was a client, I'm going to call you with whatever you want to call me to call you. If it's my child or it's someone I love, I might have to go, wait a minute. I don't want to endorse that lie, if you will. I want to stand on truth. But I don't have to go now become the advocate, which is what I'm seeing with families all the time. The only way to right. love them is to be loud. And so how do I partner with and love others? But really, I'm pointing to the cross. I'm pointing to, hey, there's a better story here. But when you're ready, because I can't make anyone listen if you will so first off you are right about sitting and listening to people and understanding bias and that's the whole point of a sar i love it's for me to recognize my bias and and for me to understand how that is so that when a client does come in i'm aware of it the idea is not to change your mind about anything again i don't want to change yeah but i think it opens your mind 
That's it opens actually, your mind. Right. Yeah, that's the goal. Is this your so in that way it's very person. liberal. Or not or even if it doesn't again when and when you say open your I know what you mean and you don't mean open your mind to where I accept something mm-hmm. or I would want to do this myself. You right. mean open your mind as in I understand these people better now right. exactly. and I can understand so I can work or with them passion. better or right or I understand I have a little problem with this issue. Mm-hmm. So maybe if somebody emails me and says I'm into whatever, fill in the blank. And that's something that's triggering for you. And let's be honest, um, you know, there are there are a lot of therapists who have experienced sexual trauma and violence in their life. So perhaps there's a particular issue that could be really troubling for them right. to, to deal with, right? Or even if you don't have this type of trauma. So you could say, you know what, I appreciate it. Let me refer you to someone who works right. more with this type of client. Like this is very beneficial to the self of the therapist and your and your work. So this goes to the next point you make as you as a Christian, how would you deal with someone who has a different perspective of say gender identity or homosexuality or whatever the case may be? And what I would say to you is that's where it really comes down to you needing to understand your values. Now, me personally, if I had children, I don't have children now, I I say that jokingly, like it's a good thing. I don't have children. Uh, <laughs> and one day I might have children. I just don't right now. Um, but if I did have children, how I personally as an Orthodox Jew would work with them is, well, first off, first off, I would I would tell any person of faith, regardless of your faith background, if the only time you've ever had a conversation about sex or gender with your child is when they've come to you and say, I'm gay or I'm trans or whatever the case may be, you've missed the boat already. Well, part of, it's your, part of it's your fault. Yeah. Right. That's and again, and, it's, but it's and, that, and I'm not saying that if your child has gender dysphoria, it's your fault. That's not what I'm saying. Oh. What I'm saying is if your child is coming to you with a sexual issue and it's something major, and you've never had a talk with them about anything sexual before, it is partly your fault that this problem, the problem of not being able to talk or what to do is there. Right? And you don't have an in to actually have a Correct. voice because you haven't exactly. prepped. So now all of a sudden you want to have a voice and they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You haven't been there. So why would I ever listen to you? So, so I will use this example because I, 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 I think that your audience would understand this. I, I I mentioned already, I have some very, very close trans friends, mm-hmm. very close. So as a parent, um, one, I would want my children to understand my values as a person of faith, right? Mm-hmm. As and an Orthodox Jew, right? This is something that should be clear, yeah. right? This is something you need. If you don't have this talk with your children either, this is your fault again. Okay. Right. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm saying tough. Look, by the time this is over, <laughs> all the religious people are going to hate me and all the sex community is going to hate me. Okay. You, <laughs> you cannot be friends, Corey. Um, so, but it's true what I'm saying. Right. And, and, sure. and, and, you know, I like to say that my approach is a more balanced approach. I'm not on one end of the spectrum or the other. I'm very in the center and that makes everybody uncomfortable. Makes very, very, very uncomfortable. So I would say that that my child, by time they are 10 or I would say bar mitzvah, so like 
13, right? Yep. They have seen me davening in the synagogue, praying. They've seen me every day studying Talmud. They've seen me. They've seen me uh, doing the weekly parasha, which is a which is a portion of the Torah that we read weekly as a Jew. Okay, they've seen me do these things, right? At the same time, they have seen me be compassionate mm -hmm. and caring and friends with people who hold different opinions than we do. Yeah. Now, why is that important? So, and and I know some clergy who teach against what I just said. I know clergy, Christian and different faiths who 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 are completely yeah. against what I just said. Yeah. But here's the problem with that. So if my kid say they're 16, 17, they come to me, they say, Dad, I think I'm trans. I want to be on puberty blockers. And I say, no, right? I say, let's have that conversation when you're 24 or 25 or 23, whatever. Yeah. My child isn't going, oh, my dad's hateful and a transphobe. Right. Because they see, hmm, my dad has very close friends who are and and really shows compassion and love towards people in these different communities and works with these people. Yep. So so what I'm saying is this work is much more than just a one-time conversation when your kid comes to you. Yeah. And it's, it's an on it's congruence and it's an ongoing thing. Now, I will also tell a parent if your child is 18 and your child says, Oh, I'm going to have puberty, there's really not much you can do about it. Yeah, you're right? stuck there. But yeah. Just love all them. you can, you can love them, right? They are your child, whether this is an ongoing process. God. And I will say that if your child decides they're going to detransition, the worst possible thing you can say to them is, oh, I told you, show you, you should have never done it in the first place. Yes. That's the worst thing you could say to be them. Be quiet. Just be quiet. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, this is the time where you can really. Yeah. So, again, it goes to values, right? It goes to your religious values, your sexual values, your family values. Okay? Well, this is what I've heard recently, too, though. So when they detransition. So a theme that's coming coming up in, lately, and I've talked to some other professionals about this as well, has been, so yeah, I detransition, and I go to my parents, and I either say, thank you for standing firm on truth and not using the pronouns, and others saying, I can't believe you just went along with every whim I had, and how could you have done that? How could you have lied to me? Because I now I see, now my eyes have been open. And so, like, this right. is really, so what I've been battling with is really when we partner with a lie, we're partnering with the devil, we're partnering with truth. It's like, so how, really be careful. And that's different and it, in a professional relationship than, than a either religious perspective or a pastor down or a. Um, so again, though, you are, you are talking about, I want to make the distinction that we are talking a difference between gender dysphoria Correct. and gender identity. And right. I would say that if you have a child who has gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. now, how do you know? You won't know. By, you, I mean, really, you yeah. need to, your child needs to be in therapy. Like, and I'm not saying therapy is a bad way. I'm saying you, you need to find a therapist for your child to work with. 
Okay. A non-affirming therapist. A non-affirming therapist. Yeah, he's been who, trained to help. Who 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 will be not been trained? Right. They're just a, trained to affirm everything. Right. Uh, you need to find a therapist who can speak with your child. And if your child has gender dysphoria, this is a completely different ball game. Correct. Right. Correct. This is we're talking. This is completely different. And you need to be a supportive and caring. And if it is helpful for that child for you to use a different pronoun, wh whatever it is to reduce their stress so that that child can actually go through therapy and have successful therapy so they're not committing suicide, I think this is very important. Mm -hmm. now, when we're talking gender identity, like we're in a different ballgame, right? Like we, we are at a different ballgame. But how will you know the difference? You're not going to know unless you, you, you send the child to therapy, which in some... Some areas uh, around the U.S. I know now they're saying you know they don't need therapy, uh, th th oh, and this is this scary. is terrible. Yeah, yeah, scary. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation. This has been so helpful, so so in informative, and I know we went to a lot of different topics. Those listening, hopefully, we haven't lost you, but uh, this has been very helpful. And your podcast is uh, sextherapypodcast.com. Yeah. Yes. And, okay. the, and they, they could find that everywhere. They could also find me. I'm pretty active on, or I've just become very active on Instagram. Okay. Same. And so they can, they can follow me on Instagram too, at Dr. Caleb Jacobson. And I do a lot of stuff on the intersection of sexuality and spirituality. Nice. Not again, not to proselyte anybody, not to change anybody's mind, but I want people who are of a faith background to feel comfortable combining the two. And I want therapists who don't know anything to at least have some understanding so that when they're working with religious clients, they have some background knowledge of how the client is thinking in their worldview. Nice. 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 Well, Dr. Caleb Jacobson, awesome to meet you. So excited. I would love to have more conversations with you about this. We can absolutely do it. That'd be a lot of fun. Awesome. So thank you for coming on the podcast and look forward to all, all the work you're doing and the research you're doing as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Family Features Podcast. It's been an honor to serve. If you're struggling and in need, Dr. Gilbert provides a free consultation for new clients. Check out his website at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages touched, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more help and resources, check out Dr. Gilbert's website for books, courses, and more trainings at healinglives.com. Bless you and your family and all God wants to do in and through you. Remember, your marriage and family are worth fighting for. This is Dr. Corey Gilbert. See you next time.